0: Uh, I love Advent. I love the the lighting. It always feels like, uh, you know, you just don't know if the whole place is going to go up in flames or if nothing's going to happen at all. The Kings, you guys did a great job today. Well done. Uh, And so, but it was wonderful. So uh, I love this season of Advent. Uh, I'm reminded that I wanted to let you know uh, about our uh, coming up services. So on Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve morning, we will just have one 10 o'clock service. Uh, We'll remind you of this again, but on New Year's Eve morning, we will also just have one 10 o'clock service. So just kind of get that in your head on the 24th and the 31st, one service at 10 a.m. And then we're going to have three services again at 5, 7, and 9. We are going to have the 5 o'clock is going to be inside. I know that some of you, many of you, myself included, love uh, going outside, but um, it, it just works a little bit better for us to have it in here. So sorry to those of you uh, who are disappointed about that. Uh, they will all be the same service. So just to let you know, there's five, seven, and nine. Um, not one One's not going to be shorter than the other, so don't try to come to that one. You've got to be here the whole time. So just to let you know that. Uh, uh, Jane's prayer was lovely, but there was one error in it, which is, and and you're not to be blamed for this. Uh, Amazingly enough, we're not going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke today. I know that's kind of out of the norm, and that disappoints many of us. Uh, But we are going to be looking at the Old Testament prophets during this season of Advent. Uh, and so, you know, Advent is a very is a fascinating season that we're going to talk about it today um, a, a goodly amount. So we're going to be looking at some of these Old Testament prophets. And today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So I invite you to hear these words. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this first Sunday of Advent, we do come to you praying for your blessing. We pray for your spirit and for your presence. May we enter into this season... in a posture of watching and waiting and looking for you. And I pray, Lord, that the words in my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Prophets, like Isaiah, have a remarkable way of seeing things. They see things, and prophets are unafraid to tell people exactly what they have seen. This ends up getting prophets, as you probably know, in a lot of trouble. And one can rest assured that if they had gone to a normal high school, that they would have been voted as the least likely to succeed. The truth is, there are many, perhaps even most of us, Who do not prefer to see things as they actually are. It is much more comfortable to keep our eyes closed and our ears plugged than it is to have to see and wrestle with truth. If we're honest, we would most often prefer to live shallower lives if it meant that we didn't have to experience truth and the pain that so often comes with it. We'd prefer to remain distracted than to seeing the truth that is in the world all around us and that is within us. The problem, again, though, is that prophets... See things clearly and they are unafraid to share them. They almost, it seems, oftentimes these prophets feel compelled to tell them. Even when nobody wants to hear them. And even when we do everything we can to shut them up and to shut them down. The first chapter of Isaiah, which comes right before the passage that I just read, Isaiah is telling the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, exactly what he sees. He tells them, "You can go back to look." He tells them that they are laden with iniquity, that their sacrifices to God are actually worthless because they belie the reality of their hypocrisy and their worshiping of other. God's. They chase after bribes, and they have forgotten the widows and the orphans who are in their midst. And so the city will be burned. It will be destroyed. And this, of course, is not what the people wanted to hear. You see, it is a lot harder to enjoy your life. You know this. It is much more difficult to eat, drink, and be merry when someone keeps whispering in your ear, all that is wrong in the world and all that is wrong with you. We Christians are entering into a very strange season in the life of the church. In many ways, of course, this is our season. It's right in the name. Christmas, Christ Mass, the Mass of Christ. It is a season to remember that Jesus came to earth, that he came when the word was made flesh. And yet comically enough, ironically enough, at the exact same time, we as followers of Jesus often find ourselves trying to take back our holiday, our holy day from the world around us that longs to sentimentalize the day. To burden it with a meaning and a message and a symbol which it was never meant to bear. I'm not so much talking about the commercialization of Christmas that we easily and understandably often rail against as much as the mismanagement of it. In many ways it seems to me it has suffered the plight of that of the modern day weddings where the big day has become so powerful, so packaged, so expensive, so focused upon that it has become detached from what it is supposed to be, which is a beginning, a birthing of a whole new way of life. And when a wedding no longer bears any resemblance to the marriage that is to follow to the everyday ordinariness of two people journeying faithfully together in plenty and in want, then it has become a distraction rather than a departure point. And in much the same way, when Christmas becomes a day, when Christmas becomes something that no longer bears any resemblance to the birth of the light of the world being born into our darkness and journeying faithfully alongside of us, then Christmas has really become more a distraction than a departure point. And Christmas then, rather than deepening our lives, ends up making them more shallow, as we become easily overwhelmed by the -the over-the-top parties, the garish gifts, the syrupy stories that lull us into a slumber rather than awakening our senses to where Jesus is alive, even now. We are often blinded to this. And when we do happen to see it, we don't actually want anyone... Or anything to point it out, which is why we have prophets and it's why we have the season of Advent. Leonard Vanderzee puts it Advent is always an annoyance to those who want it to be merely a segue to Christmas. But Advent is less an introduction to Christmas and more of an intrusion into our. Lives A prophetic invitation, a wake-up call to see things as they actually are so that we can begin to see things as they one day will be. The first Sunday of Advent is always abrupt because it comes, typically even more so than this Advent, on the heels of our post-Thanksgiving food coma. It's somewhat akin to the whiplash that occurs on January 1st, the day after spending a night in revelry and celebration, when all of a sudden, when we awaken, we are reminded of the New Year's resolutions that we have made to eat less, to drink less, to exercise more. We don't want to think about reality so close to celebration. But this is exactly what the first Sunday of Advent forces us to. To do. The scripture passages that are assigned in the lectionary on the first Sunday of Advent are almost always descriptions of the destruction and mayhem that occurs before Jesus' return. It's why I began actually this sermon by looking at Isaiah 1, because Isaiah 2, if you don't look at it closely, can almost be too comforting, too cozy for the beginning. Of Advent. But even in the second chapter of Isaiah that I read, it is clear that Isaiah has both eyes widely open. War and its destruction is on the mind of Isaiah. You see, he is fully aware of the world around him. But to understand that, we have to feel the weight of those two words, sword and spear, and the way in which those instruments, sword and spear, bring division, destruction, and death. See, the people of Isaiah's times, they would have more easily felt the weight of those instruments of war. Now, to be sure, we do catch glimpses of these Videos and stories of destruction of the war in places like Ukraine, Israel, and Palestine. And yet we have to admit that the screens from which we see and read these things serve as a remarkable emotional filter from the reality of it all. In a way that as soon as we turn off the television or as soon as we scroll to another story our eyes are once again blinded to the wars around us so that we can be distracted by what is next or by what is more pleasurable to ponder. I think likely the very first time that I felt the weight of the sword and spear that Isaiah is talking about, When I was in Normandy, France, several years ago, and what caused me to feel the weight was not to see the beaches upon which the Allies stormed nor the monuments to heroic acts, but the row after row after row of stark white tombstones of sons and brothers and fathers whose lives had been torn apart by sword and spear, by bomb and by bullet. And then just two months ago, as my daughter Shaughnessy and I went from village to village in southern Germany, we methodically walked the cemeteries attached to each church, and we felt the weight of seeing the young in their late teens after 20s, tombstones, one row after another, after another, marking their deaths in the 30s and the 40s, including one that we cannot get out of our minds, of three sons, three brothers. I know those are the enemy. Yet if we are called to love our enemies, Jesus' words, not my own then how can we not be caught short? And how can we not mourn? Sword and spear are more than words. They are more than machines or weapons. They are the destruction of God's creation. And to minimize or move past it without seeing and feeling its grief is to live shallow, trivial lives and yet while it is true that on this side of the Atlantic we might not see nation warring against another all of us know that there are battles within that we are all experiencing no matter how deep the moats that we dig or how high the walls that we build you see, sword and spear, as you know, come in many forms. For some of us, they are words that tear into us from those in our families or our workplace that leave us with wounds that are not easily hidden or healed. For others, they have come in declarations of divorce or in dysfunction or a wayward child that leaves us divided from those whom we once loved. For many, for many of late, it feels to me, it is the war that our own cells have declared against our bodies in the form of cancer or disease that seems relentless in attacking that which they were designed to protect. But even our own thoughts that attack our minds with anxieties and worries that continually barrage us with thoughts that we seem so unable to defend ourselves from. All of us, in one form or another, know the reality of sword and spear. And Again, prophets see these things and they are not afraid to point them out. And Advent... If we allow it, and part of the reason why I'm preaching it like this, if we slow down enough to see it, to acknowledge it, and to feel it, then we can begin to be transformed by it. In his powerful book, the pastor as minor poet. Craig Barnes says that the sermon should be placed toward the end of the worship service so that the congregation, so that you, so that we have 30 minutes of slowing down in order to pay attention to what we are doing, to why we are in the sanctuary in the first place. That the songs and the prayers, the time of reflection are there to open our eyes to the deep, truth of the sacred encounter in which we are participating Advent should be a season in which we spend time slowing down, gradually opening our eyes to the realities around us, so that by the time Christmas arrives, we are not exhausted from running this way and that, but so that our senses have been slowly awakened and we are ready to invite Jesus to be born into the depth of Every part of our lives, into each of our battles, each place where sword and spear pierce us, that we might begin to make peace out of war, that we might flourish where we have been floundering, that we might bloom in places that have been burning. Because, you see, this is the fascinating thing about prophets that we dare not miss which is that not only do they have a remarkable ability to see things as they are, they also have an uncanny ability to stand in the very midst of battle, in the middle of the clashing of sword and spear, and see things for what they could be, for what they one day will be. You see, Isaiah here, he envisions he imagines a time when the Lord returns and his house will be established on the mountain that will tower over all others. A time when in this striking imagery, the nations will stream to the Lord's mountain. Or more literally, the rivers will run up the mountain. When all will seek to walk in the ways of God. And when they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning Hooks when that which was meant for division, destruction, and death will now give rise to flourishing, feeding, and life. Prophets, as so many have pointed out, and as we far too often miss, are actually poets and artists. You see, they create images for us, word pictures that cause us to slow down and to reflect. Eugene Peterson says that artists wake us up from our jaded senses and help us become more attentive. And for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, as Peterson says, in the presence of these artist prophets, we intuitively respond in delight. We want to be involved. We want to get near, to enter into, to tap our feet, to hum along, to touch, to meditate, to, compl- t- to contemplate, to imitate, to believe, to pray. Painted prayers, he says, sung prayers, danced prayers. It's the very nature of our five senses to pull us into whatever is there, sent Rhythm, texture, vision, and it is the vocation of the artist, prophet, to activate our senses to do just that. You see, what the artist and prophet Isaiah is doing is drawing us through, not around, the pain, the brokenness, war, and conflict of our lives, and into this beautiful image, this Tapestry of sword being beaten into plowshare and spear into a pruning hook. The prophet is inviting us, he is leading us into a journey, what he calls walking in the light of the Lord through our brokenness and being able to see, to imagine something different. Craig Barnes says it is digging through the loss to find the hints of hope. This is not a cheesy optimism that the world would call us to escape to, but deep from the bottom of the soul, Hope. You see, I think there is good reason that all of us find ourselves in this season inclined to becoming more childlike. There is something within all of us that dreams, that hopes for something different. And what we as Christians are called to remember and serve as witnesses to is that this desire has been birthed inside of us, not as a way of escaping, but as a way of dreaming and imagining and believing that God can beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, that God can take broken relationships. Relationships and make them whole, that God can take sickness and disease and bring healing, that God can break the chains of addiction and abuse, that God can bring life out of that which was meant for death. It is easier, hear me, it is safer to stop imagining, to stop dreaming, and to stop hoping, but that is not the way of those who are long to walk in the light of the Lord, as Sky Jathani says so clearly, the challenge facing Christianity today is not a lack of motivation or a lack of resources, it is a failure of imagination. And in the season of advent, we are invited to begin to imagine again. To slow down long enough to realize how easily seduced we are, as we have said so many times of late, to believe that what always has been will always be. How easily we are lulled into believing that wars and battles between nations and communities and family members and within ourselves are simply the way of the world. So we should either give up all hope And become mired in darkness or escape into a whole other place full of candy canes and talking snowmen. But instead, our call is to immerse ourselves into a vision like this one of Isaiah's. Where the brokenness that we see and feel is melted by fires. Molded, transformed into something which gives new life. We will never be this kind of Advent community. We will never be a witness to this kind of newly birthed life if we are never able to imagine it or if we just start walking and working with no sense as to where we are going or what we are doing. The prophet Isaiah and the season of Advent ask us whether we see whether we hear the transformation of God's kingdom until it is on earth as it is in heaven. So it is in light of this, that during this Advent season, we can do this. It is much shorter than usual that we are invited to rekindle our childlike imagination and to begin to picture whatever conflict or battle you might be in being healed and transformed. To begin envisioning Jesus being born and seeing him in Ukraine and Israel and Palestine. Into the streets of cities that are brimming with violence. Into bodies being ravaged by disease and addictions. Into relationships that bear far too many scars from sword and spear. And even deep into the recesses of our own minds and hearts. Which so often bear the brunt of our own attacks, that we might begin to see what Jesus sees, that we might begin to envision a world like Isaiah envisioned, a community, a family, a people in which swords are finally turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. For only when we can see it can we begin to walk in the light of the Lord. To walk toward the transformation to which God calls us. And so I invite you even now over these next few minutes. To simply sit. To imagine In the darkest of places that you can, to imagine a world in which swords are turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks.